0: I'm Marianne Kolbysak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with health information security and privacy attorney Paul Hales about recent lawsuit trends involving HIPAA and other related issues. So Paul, after it was recently disclosed that debt collector American Medical Collection Agency suffered a cyber attack, that impacted several of its top clients, including laboratory testing firms Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp, and millions of their patients, we saw more than a dozen class action lawsuits being filed in various federal courts in different states against AMCA, as well as the labs. What most of these suits have in common is that they allege victims have been harmed by the AMCA data breach. So that being said, Paul, what do you expect will happen next?
1: Well, first, the raft of legal procedures, and those are very important, and the outcome is dramatic, but it's not the kind of drama that you're going to see on TV. So there are multiple class actions filed across the country in federal courts that have common facts and defendants. So I'd expect consolidation for efficiency. I would expect that it would be referred to the U.S. Judicial Panel on Multi-District Litigation for Coordination, and there'll be a lot of jockeying by the plaintiff's attorneys who want to become class counsel or, in the case of multi-district litigation, interim class counsel. But there's also going to be a lot of jockeying by the defense attorneys because, well, when I was a young lawyer, a more experienced lawyer explained it to me like this, that in a case with multiple defendants, you have one job, and that's to make sure that your client is the schlep, not the schlemiol you know what that means? I said, no. He said, well, the schlap is the defendant who spills the soup. The schlamiel is the one the soup gets spilled on. These also represent a trend. Private lawsuits based in disclosure of individually identifiable health information are really akin to a well-established principle of suits by private attorneys general. And you can expect to see much more of this. OCR has limited resources. So the private attorney's and their plaintiff clients are like private OCR regulators. And this means money damages its significant costs to defendants and likely will make HIPAA compliance urgent to boards of directors and senior management and large organizations and owners of small organizations. They're the ones who are responsible under the law.
0: So, Paul, what do you see as the key legal issues in these data breach lawsuits, especially in light of AMCA also recently filing a petition for bankruptcy?
1: First is the question of potential liability of parties with deep pockets, like Quest and LabCorp, and also Optum360. Optum360 is alleged to have been engaged by Quest as a business associate, and then to have engaged AMCA to do the debt collection. And those parties and their parent companies have deep pockets. And the key legal issue is liability uh, for the actions or failures to act of AMCA because AMCA operated as their agent under the federal common law of agency. And that's incorporated in the HIPAA enforcement rule. And it's Based on the test for federal common law of agencies based on a 1989 Supreme Court case called Community for Nonviolence Against Reed. And as OCR explains it, the primary issue they focus on is the level of control over a business associate that, let's say, a covered entity is able to have established by a contract like the business associate agreement, whether that control is used or not. That's a fairly modest level of control. And the thing is that lawyers like to use boilerplate language that gives control, uh, maximum control to their clients. And that's usually good, except in a HIPAA situation, it can have a very bad outcome. Indeed. AMCA, by the way, is a trade name for a company called Retrieval Masters Creditors Bureau, Inc., and in its bankruptcy declaration, and that's a judicial admission, it says it's a debt and medical receivables collection agency, and that the breach occurred beginning as early as August 2018, when its servers were hacked and malicious software was inserted, and that's the software that sent out this information about what we think now is more than 20 million patients, and that was not discovered until March of 2019. So AMCA is a HIPAA business associate, and these judicial admissions in the bankruptcy declaration suggest HIPAA violations like a failure to do risk analysis, review information system activity, detect malicious software, and so on. HIPAA doesn't provide for private lawsuits, but it can be the standard of care for negligence, and states permit private health information breach lawsuits. The federal courts have supplemental jurisdiction. It's also called pendant jurisdiction, and they can decide claims under closely related state law. The reason is simple. It eliminates the need for separate federal and state trials on basically the same facts. And also, Marianne, the sleeping giant may be the TCPA, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act and its requirements for healthcare cell phone and text message debt collection. Those violations mean big money. And AMCA touts its expertise at processing a high volume of collections with very small balances. So there may be a question of whether they made healthcare debt collection calls to cell phones or sent text messages that could violate a 2015 TCPA order
0: so, Paul, with that all said, what do you expect plaintiff's attorneys will be looking for?
1: Primarily, I think they're going to be looking at the language in all the contracts that are involved among these parties, whether they're service level agreements or business associate agreements, because they're looking for the level of control that establishes agency. They want to be able to get to the deep pockets to see what, if any, agency relationships exist. AMCA is really the small fish. The deep pockets are with the laboratory companies and their parents. And Optum 360's parent, by the way, is United Healthcare. Second, what did AMC know? When did they know it? And when did they tell anybody? And that's relevant for the HIPAA breach notification rule, but it's also important for state breach information laws that coexist with HIPAA, and have different reporting and notification requirements. And if the plaintiff's lawyers can show that there's an agency relationship which makes the covered entity defendants liable for the AMCA violations, then that gets them to deep pockets. So also, in looking at AMCA's conduct, what did they do to detect the malicious software? were they negligent? Did they employ HIPAA safeguards? And also, as I mentioned earlier, what healthcare debt collection methods did AMC use? Then in discovering those, compare them to the TCPA healthcare debt collection requirements.
0: So Paul, what lessons can other covered entities and business associates learn so far from this AMCA legal saga?
1: Well, I think that first, review HIPAA compliance and business associate due diligence. If you haven't done due diligence with your business associate, or if you're a business associate and you haven't done due diligence with your subcontractor business associate, inquire whether or not they're fulfilling their responsibilities under HIPAA as a business associate. If you haven't done that, you're likely at a level of what the HIPAA rule calls willful neglect, and that subjects you to the highest tiers of civil monetary penalties. Then check the key HIPAA safeguards that may have prevented or lowered damage in the AMCA breach. For example, risk analysis and risk management, periodic technical and non-technical evaluations, protecting yourself against and detecting malicious software. Next, Check your business associate agreements and the language in them, and the language in the service level agreements. Don't make a business associate your agent by mistake. Next, make sure you get and document under TCPA. They required prior express consent to send health care, debt collection calls to cell phones, and text messages. And HIPAA provides a three-step safeguard for that prior express consent, beginning with informing the patient that there's some level of risk associated with an unencrypted electronic transmission, like an email or a text message. And finally, take a look at your business associate breach notification rule compliance. If you're a business associate, you need to be able to recognize when you've had a breach of unsecured protected health information. And also, make timely notifications up the chain and make sure that you've got the right content of that notification. Under HIPAA, timely notification means not later than 60 days after discovery, but business associate agreements have usually much shorter timeframes, and state law likely also has much shorter timeframes for notification.
0: And finally, Paul, any final thoughts about emerging trends concerning data privacy and security issues in the healthcare sector? Is there one thing that stands out to you?
1: Sure. It's danger. It's danger to the defendants, the covered entities, uh, the business associates. The medical identity theft is the fastest growing type of identity theft. It's the gold standard for identity theft. The uh, HHS Office for the Inspector General has an excellent video about this, and it points out that there are only two things required for medical identity theft, the identity of a patient and the identity of a provider. There's an urgency involved in this, financial loss. These private attorneys general, if we can use that term, create a whole new ballgame. I know that danger is an emotional word, and it's appropriate if you're not prepared. But you can comply calmly and confidently. The HIPAA rules are a blueprint to protect covered entities and business associates, and they're easy to follow step-by-step when you know the steps.
0: Thanks, Paul. I've been speaking to attorney Paul Hales. I'm Ann Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.